Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss Octobreach Party, a lapsus in judgment. Next up, Russian toward justice. And of course, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 116, recorded on Monday, March 28th, 2022. I'm your co-host, Kelsey. Nothing is new under the pun, LaBelle. With me, co-host Taylor, cleanse your access logs with Octavated Charcoal, (laughs) Wilkes Pierce, and last but not least, Tim, ringside at the Octagon Helming. Wow, I, I really missed the memo on the octa-flavored puns. Let the games begin. <laughs> <laughs> wow, the octagon. Those both really got me. Uh, I read those for the first time in this moment, and I really I really enjoyed them. Well done, you two. We like the, the uh, spontaneous reaction. <laughs> you know, I want it to be natural, so, you know. <laughs> Octa Breach Party, you know, that just makes me think of, I mean, I I think of those like 1960s beach party movies with Annette Funicello and whatchamacallit. I mean, those are before my time, but, you know, they're they're (laughs) part of the, I don't know. Is that even a cultural reference anymore? Probably not. I was thinking of Top Gun when I heard Beach Party. I I was imagining beach volleyball specifically. Yep. Yep. Another good reference. Yeah. the Somebody who comes up, I feel like an awful lot on her podcast that uh, is no longer at Domain Tools, but was for a very long time, uh, would always uh, always mention that the last movie he saw in theaters was Top Gun uh, because the, the theater across the street, Cinerama in Seattle, which I don't know if that's open anymore. Um, no, I don't think it is. Oh, gosh. That's very in sad. In fact, I, I think its future is in some question. I don't know no. if Tom Hanks can help with that, but somebody's <laughs> got to save it. We need a we need to create a uh, breaking badness bingo game. The the watch out better business bureau. We've got a better three B's in a row. Um, the breaking badness bingo, um, and I feel like Tom Hanks would almost be he'd be like the giveaway square in the very yeah middle. he'd kind of be the thing in the middle yeah, yeah. probably. <laughs> I mean we love you T Hanks. Um, we have a lot of respect for you, but um, you know we just have to be honest with our what our audience is hearing here. But yeah, the Cinerama, you know, Cinerama is actually a chain, or it was at one time, not a real big one, but but there's more than one Cinerama. There's, I'm sure there's one in LA. That one's probably- This one, I think there's only, a, there were only a couple left, especially in like the 70 millimeter film screen projection realm. Uh, yes. It's a Paul, Paul Allen staple, I believe. And yeah. the best part- yeah is it's right across the street from from the office in the days all of us would would come in and be in the same space and they are famous for their chocolate covered popcorn and i'll never forget when uh, we had domain tools bought garbage bags (laughs) full of that popcorn (laughs) and that might have ruined the popcorn for me when i saw that being carried in i was like oh Oh God! <laughs> but don't good. get mad, Kelsey. Get glad. Yeah, <laughs> it ruined nothing for me. It was the... oh, I mean, I'm not Absolutely. saying I didn't eat that stuff. A lot is, of it. <laughs> is dangerous. It is. Mm-hmm. It is really. You can't. It's. I, it's very hard to stop once you start. 
it tastes like um what is that pebbles cereal um oh yeah cocoa puffs or cocoa puffs chocolate petal pebbles, pebbles or some such thing yeah one pebbles. of the many cereals i was totally not allowed to have when i was a kid yeah but i would liken the taste of a chocolate covered popcorn to that cereal without a doubt so if you're trying to imagine what it tastes like go now go I get know. some cocoa pebbles and it's quite similar to no it. need no need I, I just want to savor the memories of the Cinerama popcorn. <sighs> this week on cinema with Breaking Badness. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about anything other than this Octa Breach, shall we? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess we should probably get to that. And so, that you know, the, the weekly uh, pun article title here is Octa Breach Party and Lapsus in Judgment. So in uh, January 2022, a security incident at Octa potentially left um, a little over 350 of its customers affected. And this is, you know, information has potentially changed to between when we recorded this podcast, what the impact is and, and where it is when you listen to it. Um, but Tim, for those who may be unaware, what is Okta? Well, first of all, I'm just going to say, like, this is literally breaking badness. Like, there's, there's what we know so far, and then there's what will emerge as time goes by, as we learn more about this. But yeah, so... You know, I don't know why it is that every time I see the name of that company, I just kind of make this subconscious association with okra, I guess, because the words are kind of similar, but they're not related. Okta is not something you can eat. Uh, it's a company that provides two-factor authentication tools uh, to help companies with identity and access management. So, you know, they they uh, provide those various means of, of getting a little token that you then enter, uh, enter a code and do that in addition to your username and password uh, to complete your two-factor authentication. So it's safe to say they play an important role in securing access to various kinds of resources that are quite internal to the companies that use Okta and similar uh, two-factor auth vendors. Oh man, now I'm just craving some fried Okta. <laughs> right. <laughs> I never, th now I'll never be able to unthink or unsee that tim um that's that's pretty good um <laughs> and so from from the topic du jour it looks like the bad actor involved is the group known as lapsus with of course a dollar sign at the end so we know they're nonprofit. um so <laughs> yeah lapsus.org <laughs> yeah lapsus.org um watch out kesha there's lapsus uh just just so we have the major players, can you give us a brief background on this group? Yeah, uh, everybody listening to the podcast, I'm sure, was tracking this group as Dev0537, which is how Microsoft has named the activity group. But uh, but yeah, they they have really kind of, of course, exploded onto the scene because the Okta uh, incident here is a, is a news getter, as it should be. Uh, but this group has been... Uh, tracked for a little while, they seem to have become aware, uh, you know, security practitioners and researchers seem to have become aware of them sometime in December of 2021 or so. They have amassed a pretty decent following, like their telegrams is up to 45,000 people and probably growing at this point. So they are an activity group of some note and, uh, they they pro were probably you know this isn't the last I think we're going to hear of them because you know they're not they're not out of commission at this point by any stretch so 
Uh, they're a group to watch for sure. Man, we should do, I mean, I really feel like this is setting a bad example, but we should do like an Oscars, like some bad actor. We we did a webinar a really long time ago called No Oscars for Bad Threat Actors. Um, but it, you know, in terms of like groups to watch, I feel like there's, oh, there's the, the worst picture, right. worst actor. Um, anyway, there's something. Yeah, like they're up and come around the scene. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, so what we know at this point, so Okta reported that the group had access for a period of around five days. What were they able to accomplish in this amount of time? Yeah. So the access, which by the way, just to fill out the picture a little bit more, the access that was obtained by Lapsus occurred through a, an outsource, uh, call center vendor or, or, you know, like a, probably a first level support type vendor called Sykes. And it was one of the engineers from that vendor whose account was compromised. And they, of course, as, an, as part of the supply chain to Okta had some access into Okta's system. And so during that five day period, by the way, there's, there's controversy in terms of what Okta has disclosed versus what Lapsus is saying about what they've accomplished. Uh, opinions differ, shall we say. And, uh, but during those days that they had access, which, you know, if we assume it really was closed down after five days, fine, we'll go with that for now. Uh, but during that period of time, they were able to get access to uh, um, various Slack resources and other kinds of internal resources within Okta and they had so they already peed into this uh, this engineer's machine, and from there uh, they were able to get uh, something called super user access inside Okta. And supposedly, what they were able to accomplish during that time is things like resetting people's two-factor auth tokens so that they would have to reset up new ones. And now Okta's inside, you know, can potentially get in the middle of that. Um, and they, there is dispute about whether they have passwords to the customers of Okta that they have, uh, you know, obtained access to, uh, Lapsus says, yes, we have passwords. Okta says, no, you don't. Um, and you know, my money's probably going a little more on the, yeah, they do have that access side of the table. But, um, anyway, so if you think about the importance of authentication, the authentication process, it's a really dangerous one for the wrong people to have access to. So um, we don't have evidence right now that they necessarily did get inside the networks of lots of Okta customers. Um, we do know about some specific companies that Lapsus has breached that we're, we'll probably get to in a minute. But um, there, so, you know, long story short, there's what you're hearing in Okta's official uh, statements about this issue. Then there's what you're hearing in Lapsus's official statements about the issue. And the truth, who knows, maybe it's somewhere in between those two uh, portrayals of what's going on. That back and forth was interesting to watch and pretty close to real time. Uh, also, the idea of official statements from Lapsus uh, is kind of funny to me. But I mean, it is, yeah, it is what it is, right? It's, but yeah, it was kind of going on, playing out in real time with you know, kind of octa revising a statement and then lapses coming around and, and making some pointed commentary on it. <laughs> well, and you know, it, it puts InfoSec practitioners in this weird 
position of like there was a lot of criticism of of how quiet uh, Okta was when the news kind of broke on this. They weren't saying enough. They weren't saying it soon enough, that kind of thing. So practitioners, you know, being the uh, wallflowers that they are, of course, didn't didn't have anything to say about that on Twitter. Ha ha. No. Um, and then Lapsus comes out and says, ha ha, you know, really? Uh, Okta, because here's our view of the thing. So, you know, a lot, you have a lot of practitioners who, of course, hate groups like Lapsus for doing bad things. And yet they're kind of it weirdly on the same side of this, like, uh, yeah, Okta, we don't think we're getting the whole story here. Yeah. And on that note, um, you know, I don't, I don't have like a master's in math, but it, this attack occurred in January and it, it is, it is March. Um, and that's, that's like, am I, that's a long time. Um, that's substantially, <laughs> if my math is correct, that's a lot longer than the four-day uh, disclosure window that SZA has recently, uh, you know, put out there. Yeah. And we talk about that. Like, we're going to talk about this more later on another podcast, but this four-day window might be well, a little rushed. But this window is quite a bit longer than that. Do you see any issues in not reporting this information sooner? Yeah, absolutely. Now, the big question about that, of course, is what did Okta know and when did they know it? Um, because if they didn't actually know until mid-March that this had occurred, um, then you know maybe they were relatively timely in making a statement about it. But if they knew since January um, and sat on it for two months, yeah, that that's Folks, that's not how you do this sort of thing. And soon it will probably be quite illegal to uh, to carry it out that way. But um, but yeah, there are absolutely issues in not reporting that information sooner because for the 366 plus whatever the real number is, uh, outfits that were compromised as part of this, well, if they didn't know that, they were potentially sitting ducks for a long time and you know their their security teams didn't have the opportunity to do something about it. And, you know, one of the points that's been made about this uh, attack is that from the standpoint of what it looks like, if you're looking at your access logs and, you know, trying to carry out the routine audits that you do from a security perspective, this behaves a lot more like an insider uh, incident than like some kind of external breach because, of course, the accounts involved are legitimate accounts. They just happen to have been compromised. So all your defear kind of uh, response activity is really going to act in many ways a lot like it would in the case of an insider type of event. But yeah, it's it's a big deal that uh, they were potentially in there for two months, especially if it could have if the notification could have happened back in January and just didn't. In Okta's defense on this one, from the, hey, they've been there, for, were they there for four days in January? Were they there last week? We don't know. You know, the, the even the screenshots given out by Lapsus are all from that January time frame. I don't know that they've showed a lot uh, that would indicate that they had access past that time frame. But yeah, you know, again, it, it is one of those things like, well, if they had all this access that said that they did or purported to have would they be on Twitter talking about it or would they be trying to monetize this in other ways? Yeah. Yeah. But then, so there's also the question of, okay, they were in 
Okta for five days, that may be true. But if that allowed them to then get into these victim organizations, they may have been separately in those victim organizations for much longer, right? So that's potentially yes. Yeah, that's that's the risk here. And and Lapsus has said, by the way, very publicly, it, it, as publicly as you get when you're kind of underground, uh, that they are interested really in Okta's customers, not Okta itself. Interesting. Yeah, there's so much to unpack here. And, you know, I, I know Okta, it, it probably feels like you're pretty special right now, but you're not the only group or organization I'm sure that Lapsus is targeted. What else have they been, what have they been up to? I've heard some rumors about this little company called Microsoft, some source code. How, how's yeah. that going? Yeah, our friends over in Redmond, Washington. By the way, there's been something m- making the rounds on Twitter, just as an aside, people celebrating this this old Microsoft logo from the uh, early 80s that is just absolutely the logo of a hairband from the 80s. So, you know, check it out. But anyway, yeah, there, there was uh, this source code breach of Microsoft, which they have acknowledged, um, is the work of the Lapsus group. And there's a good blog from Microsoft about this. Uh, I believe NVIDIA was one of the other companies that was mentioned as having been breached. So yeah, they, they, they were not limited to uh, just breaching Okta. And uh, as far as the Microsoft event, so we know that some source code was leaked uh, for a couple different Microsoft products and some uh, signing certificates were also accessed. So there are, there's the potential if you have code signing certificates from a company like Microsoft, then there is the risk that you could write malware, sign it with the Microsoft uh, signing certificate, and then that malware will look uh, just like legit code that came from Microsoft unless you reverse it or something. So there are potential downstream effects of this that, you know, we may not, we may not be aware of yet and may not be aware of for a while. Um, Now, something I actually don't know the answer to this and Taylor, you might, but, um, or Kelsey, you might for that matter, whether these, uh, the code signing certs can be revoked in the regular certificate revocation process in the same way that like the certificates we think of for TLS and whatnot can be. So, because I haven't seen anything that says, yeah, Microsoft has revoked these certificates. They're not going to show up as legit. Um, So I don't know if you, if either of you has anything to add on that, but that's one of the concerns anyway, about the, uh, about the Microsoft breach. I believe they can be revoked by, you know, that, that may not prevent them from being used. Yeah. Yeah. I I know that not every um, organization is checking the CRLs and using OSCP and whatnot. So, so there is the risk of a, an obsolete certificate still being trusted uh, within your organization. So yeah, we, we may see some downstream from this that we don't know about yet. Oh, fun. (laughs) Never a dull moment. Another gift that keeps uh, on giving. Mm-hmm. Oh boy! Well, for the in the um, interest of time, because we have two very rich discussions to be had today, let's get to the final question here, which is final really jeopardy. The final jeopardy. Uh, 
So this particular article concluded that there's no indication of a pattern with this group lapses. But in a separate article um, from the good old folks of the BBC, a 16-year-old is actually being accused of being the leader of lapses. And this stuff just writes itself. I mean, this sounds like a pretty good show on the WB, if that's still a thing. Um, yeah, but coming soon. As we conclude, yeah, coming soon. I'm just curious what your thoughts are in regards to the age of the alleged hacker. Well, you know, and I've seen I've seen it given as 16 or as 17, and who knows, maybe this this kid just had a birthday, and that's why we're seeing the two ages bandied about. But you know, there are a lot of smart kids out there, <laughs> and uh, we shouldn't be dismissive of the level of not only um, coding chops that folks can gain uh, at a really early age, but also the other skills, which in the legit world we call soft skills, but that you have to have to successfully run a group and to be kind of the, you know, the ringleader of a lot of disparate uh, actors um, and, and pull off, you know, breaches of this, uh, of this level. So, you know, I mean, I, one of the folks that I've worked with many, many years ago, um, one of the smartest people I worked with um, from a technical point of view was a guy who, I don't know, I think he hired onto the company at 18 or 19 or something like that. I mean, he, we celebrated his 21st birthday at the company and he'd been there for a while. So, you know, the youths got a lot of, uh, a lot of chops. You know, yes, it's like they're, the way they handle demands and things are kind of interesting too. They're not, um, it doesn't look like they're like a typical ransomware group where, you know, they'll lock up your data and then, and then publicly name and shame you if you don't pay them. Like they, I think when they did the often NVIDIA breach, they were requesting that NVIDIA unlock uh, the Bitcoin mining uh, kind of features that they had locked off from some of their graphics cards. In an yeah, that's to, right. I was trying to remember uh, what, yeah, yeah, what the specifics were with NVIDIA. Exactly. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. So that like that, you know, that that's, you know, what are your motivations? Um, if they're not purely monetary out of that moment, then you're then things are a little different. How do they get in is also a, a little weird, right? We're not it's not like we have some new malware sample from Lapsus to to reverse and take a look at. Right. It does appear to be like fairly either you know, spear phishing or insider threat, like um, paying folks to give them access, that type of thing, more so than, you know, um, some type of. Oday or something being leveraged that, that folks hadn't seen coming. Yeah, I mean, they're they're when they're described, they're described as very skilled in social engineering, yeah. and they've also just been doing like really active, um, like right out there, um, fully acknowledged uh, recruitment of insiders from various mm -hmm. companies under various types of verticals, saying, "Hey, you know, come." come give us your credentials. Basically, we'll pay you a lot of money. So that's not yeah. even really social engineering. That's just looking for insiders that are willing to turn on their own organizations. They remind me a little of the SIM swapping groups um, from know, a year or so back, where, again, it was all kind of pure social engineering. But the impact of that was pretty deep for those involved. <laughs> if you were impacted by that, right, that they're able to you know, swap um, your SIM into their phone and then get all your passwords and all that stuff, right? Again, not incredibly technical, <laughs> but really, really uh, effective. Yep, good point. 
And those were teenagers too, right? <laughs> All right. I'm going to say one completely tangential thought, and then let's do our hoodie rating here. We never um, do that here. I never. Goodness. I'm going to try something new here. Um, this is another thing on the bingo card. Random thought that, of course, ends it upon. Um, I am disappointed in sim or sim vendors for not doing an animated short called the sim sense. Like what? Mm. <sighs> the event could be hiding folks, in the bush like Homer. You know, there's Fox <sighs> might, might have some issues with that. Well, for Fox I'm just sake. picturing, I'm picturing Bart writing a bunch of, uh, log entries on the chalkboard. Ooh. Uh, yep. <laughs> Just Loic, if you're listening, could you memify this, please? And thank you. <laughs> all right. All right. Enough of this shenanigans. Let's do our hoodie ratings for those who are not familiar. Hoodie rating from zero to 10. It's basically a rating of how terrible the situation is for defenders. Zero is neutral, 10, very bad, dumpster fire, internet on fire, that type of thing. Um, and the hoodies are, of course, a play on the cliche of a hacker and how many it would take to solve the problem. So, Taylor, I'm going to start with you. What would you rate this at? Yeah, this is, uh, I'm going to go on the higher side for this one just because it lit probably so many fires under so many IR <laughs> teams uh, over the last week or so to try to kind of assess uh, you know, potential impacts to their organization. Uh, I'll go go six hoodies and then three quarters of a of a seventh hoodie, strings and all. Nice. Strings attached. Strings yeah. attached. Oh gosh, that's the name of the uh, UPNWB show. Strings attached. Um, okay, Tim, how about you? We're just writing this show for them. I hope we are are well compensated for all the work we're doing on their behalf. I was going to say seven. So it, so Taylor and I are in the same neighborhood um, and for the same reasons. We still don't know the real full extent of this. Is it really 366 customers? Will it turn out to be more? Don't know. Will there be insider uh, breaches that later are discovered not to have really been insider breaches at all, but they were part of this? Probably. Not sure. But yeah, put me down for seven. Pretty big deal. Not internet on fire, but, um, but it's, it is something to pay attention to. And again, uh, like I mentioned, lapsus is not going anywhere that we know of right now. So keep your eye on it. Well said, Tim, and let's talk about our second article. We're just going to move right along here. Russian towards justice and the, the end of this episode. <laughs> so last week, the department of justice unsealed two indictments charging four defendants. Uh, this sounds like the beginning of a math problem, by the way. You've got two indictments <laughs> and four defendants <laughs> on a train going. Anyway, um, so uh, all Russian nationals, uh, these folks, these two indictments, four defendants, um, who worked for the Russian government with attempting, supporting, and conducting, there's the train um, inference, computer intrusions that together in two separate conspiracies targeted the global energy sector between 2012 and 2018. In total, these hacking campaigns targeted thousands of computers at hundreds of companies and organizations in approximately 135 countries. Whew. 
Okay, Taylor. Um, back to, back to plot lines here. This is a Netflix original film. Um, <laughs> but this is you know this is something that's been going on for a while. So can you detail the two cases? What were the alleged crimes and the outcomes yeah. that got us to this point today? Yeah, for sure. So I so of we should note that these indictments were uh, handed out in they were sealed they were uh, you know back in April of 2021 and have become unsealed in the past couple of days um, you know as the Department of Justice kind of I guess goes on the offensive a, a little bit here uh, at least in publishing some of the names and, and some of the actions that they've tied these names to. Um, so there's two. One indictment is uh, against an Evgeny Viktorovich uh, Gladik. I'm sure I'm butchering that last name a little bit, but, um, you know, this one is said to be affiliated with the State Research Center of the Russian Federation FGUP Central Scientific Research Institute of Chemistry and Mechanics. Uh, so not one for brevity in their org chart names, <laughs> organization names. Uh, and they, they abbreviate that as the uh, T-S-N-I-I-K-H-M. Uh, and more specifically, uh, as a part of the Applied Development Center. Uh, and so he's kind of uh, indicted along with known and unknown co-conspirators to commit computer intrusions targeting energy facilities and refineries and the United States and abroad and to cause damage to those facilities. So not just breaking in, uh, but but also, uh, you know, doing destructive actions. <clears throat> so. They target uh, operational technology, OT, and then safety instrument and computer systems to install malware designed to cause physical safety systems to stop operating or to operate in an unsafe manner. So I'll just read off the indictment there. Uh, no comment on that stuff. But that you know is tied to uh, an intrusion in Saudi Arabia in 2017. Uh, and then I also found to target uh, facilities here in the U.S. as well. So that's our, our first indictment. And then our second indictment is uh, on folks that are allegedly in the FSB. Uh, so there's a Pavel, a Mikhail, and a Marat uh, that, are, um, uh, that are named in that indictment. So regarding the United States versus Yevgeny Viktorovich um, Gladkik, I apologize if I pronounce any of that incorrectly. So the alleged victim is a foreign facility, um, but an attempt was made towards a U.S. company, but was unsuccessful. So can you describe what ramifications might have been, might have looked like the attack was successful? For sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so this was tied to the, the Triton malware family uh, that, again, discovered in a Saudi Arabian petrochemical plant in 2017. Uh, and, you know, at that plant, they, it ended up causing a couple of shutdowns uh, in, where the, the, I believe the first time they did not realize that it was like a, a piece of malware. Uh, and then the second time, I want to say they engaged uh, IR folks and, and um, I'm sure, Tim, you might know some folks <laughs> from, from the, uh, the Drago side that would be, uh, would know a lot more about this than myself. But uh, yeah, so, you know, they found it and the kind of negative impacts that they saw were that they, you know, it caused some shutdowns and things, but certainly you could see more destruct, you know, you have a lot of, um, flammable materials and high pressure environments and, and lots of, 
uh, safety um, things that are in place there to keep that stuff running smoothly. And so, yeah, you know, certainly, you know, they were able to escape that with just a couple of shutdowns, but could it could have been worse for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they messed up and uh, got themselves caught. Um, and if they hadn't, could have been a very different story. Interesting. And in terms of a second campaign, yeah. it actually looks like it took place uh, in two phases, I want to say, between 2012 and 2014. So can you speak a little bit to what that looked like? Yeah. So it's, in, yeah, so we got two separate indictments. The the one is, um, you know, for the, the more Triton uh, uh, oriented malware folks. The other one is for three individuals, again, allegedly working for the FSB. Uh, and this, it says that the part of a Russian intelligence operational unit, security experts have dubbed Dragonfly, Berserk Bear, Energetic Bear, and Crouching Yeti. And I am begging people to stop making up new names for things because we are breaking uh, how we do indictments and how we report on these things. It's just a lot of different names. Um, but yeah, so this one was a, a, a little bit longer campaign dating back to 2012. Uh, so between 2012 and 2014, uh, they had a, a campaign that is commonly referred to by the cybersecurity researchers as Dragonfly or Havex. Uh, they engaged in supply chain attacks that compromised computer networks of ICS and SCADA system manufacturers and software providers, and they hid malware uh, inside of the legitimate software updates for these systems. And so then they, as the after unsuspecting customers downloaded this uh, these updates, the conspirators would then use the malware to, among other things, create backdoors into infected systems and scan victim networks for additional ICS and SCADA devices. Uh, and through these and other efforts, including spear phishing, uh, water and hole attacks, they, they compromised a few sites uh, and then used that to distribute things. Uh, they installed malware on more than 17,000 unique devices in the United States and abroad. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that, that was the kind of the phase one um, uh, uh, for, for that particular indictment. Phase one. Phase two was between 2014 and 2017, and it's commonly referred to as Dragonfly 2.0. Kind of interesting that we're we're now getting indictment that, that really pins these two things together. Um, I think, of course, in the community there was a lot of suspicion that these two things were uh, that Dragonfly One and Two were owned and operated by the same folks. Um, but you know, I guess when the government comes out and puts in an indictment, it's a little a little clearer for the, for the rest of us here in the cheap seats. Um, but it, it, you know, in that phase, uh, they were focused on specific energy sector entities uh, and then individuals and engineers who worked with ICS and SCADA systems. Uh, at that point, they, they were using spear phishing, uh, targeted 3,300 users at more than 500 U.S. and international companies and entities. Uh, and this is one where they actually did breach the business network of the Wolf Creek Nuclear Operating Corporation in Burlington, Kansas. Uh, though That's just on the business side. They were not in the ICS side or the, the OT side um, for that. But they were, you know, look, obviously looking to pivot into those types of things. Interesting. And um, Taylor, I know we've talked a lot about the Department of Homeland Security and, and CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency. And, you know, it, there's a reason that Jen Easterly's Twitter photo is makes her out to be a superhero. A superhero. That agency is up to a lot. Uh, but I'm just curious what the release mentioned in terms of CISA, CISA's, you know, data data response um, to this particular situation and, and how they're helping out too. 
Yeah, you know, most of because these indictments are from you know about a year ago regarding activity, maybe up to a decade ago. <laughs> like you know, some of like the very specific things that you might state around this may be a little out of date, but certainly um, in terms, especially where we are right now uh, with the, the ongoing invasion there in Ukraine. Uh, you know, I think that everyone's kind of on on high alert for more of the same from this. This is certainly. Uh, an MO for, uh, for for these groups, and I don't think that anybody expects them to go away. <laughs> yeah, and Taylor, just to wrap up this conversation, just a point of clarification: these are just allegations at this point. Has anyone been sentenced regarding any of these indictments? Yeah, these are indictments, kind of in absentia, right? So I don't think that anybody expects. Uh, you know, these four individuals to be handed over to us uh, from the, by the Russian government. I don't think that is going to happen. Um, I think, you know, snowballs, chance in hell, that kind of thing. Um, you know, but it is one of those things where, hey, if, if one of these folks decides to go take a vacation in a place that uh, may extradite, <laughs> um, that, that, that they could, uh, you know, kind of come run up against this, all likelihood they just won't. So, you know, again, these folks aren't going to see the inside of a courtroom, but it can be helpful to kind of publish these uh, methods to, you know, to kind of, hey, you know, you know that we know. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it does kind of put this out in the public sphere. Um, you know, I go back and forth on this because it is one of those things where this stuff is pretty old. So I guess in terms of like sources and methods, it's not, we're not necessarily compromising a lot of stuff to, to publish these things. And the indictments are really good reading. So you sh it's good to go through them. Um, you know, that first organization with that really, really long name has a very interesting, they've got great logos and good history on that stuff. Um, you know, so there's a lot to learn from that. Um, but yes, these are just allegations. They're just, no one's gonna, no one's sentenced on these. Um, I don't think you'll see a trial um, you know, unless there's a massive shift in uh, how Russia views the rest of Western world and, and their cooperation with law enforcement. Um, but again, I, these are folks who work for the Russian government. So it's not like we're going to see, um, I, again, I, I, don't, I don't think you'll see that anytime soon. Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, Twitter chatter about this indictment. And it might have been shared to grip by. I apologize if I'm providing... Um, inaccurate information here, but I'm pretty sure she's the one that said like <laughs> indictments make the best like beach day reading or something like that. It might've been Katie Nichols, um, one of those two awesome folks, but that just, um, that made me laugh, but people seem to no, be they drawing are, through. Right. Cause they're not yeah. geared for a super technical audience, right? Because they've got to be able to lay this stuff out chapter rhyme and verse for a grand jury. So it's not a grand jury of InfoSec practitioners. <laughs> it's just, you know, folks that got seated for that grand jury. So they've got to be able to make their case and, and get folks to kind of understand what's going on there. So there is a, a lot of good information in these. Absolutely. Yeah, well said there, Taylor. Um, all right, well, with all this to say, let's talk about the, the hoodie rating. And of course, the, the flip side of the hoodie is the goodie, if you will, a warm cookie, um, or maybe the number of mechanical keyboards that you have as a defender. Um, all right. So Taylor, I'm actually going to start with you on this and ask what you'd rate this at. I, you know, it doesn't 
move the needle a whole heck of a lot. I, I, I don't know. Two goodies, two and a half. It's not, again, these aren't folks that, that are ever going to see the inside of the courtroom, you know, in all likelihood. So it, it is kind of not screaming into the void from a legal sense, but uh, it is one of those things where, um, you know, from a like, is this going to impact anything? I doubt it, but it is useful. Again, it's good reading. It's useful uh, to help tie these things together. There's a lot that the like the folks in law enforcement you know, have at their fingertips in terms of attribution and the ability to do that kind of stuff. And that, that's really where the stuff belongs. So actually, I'm talking myself up a little. Let's go like uh, three and a half goodies. Three and a half goodies. Got it. Okay. All right, Tim, over to you. Yeah, I I was sort of in the neighborhood of, this is very much like the last one, I was kind of in the neighborhood of, of four. And I think what my reasoning is similar to what you said right at the very end, Taylor, which is that a lot of the uh, knowledge that had to be gained in order to get to the point of, of these indictments was is information that can and probably is being shared at some level with uh, between private sector as well as public sector. So the understanding of these activity groups has grown, and that's really important. I mean, if you you know uh, uh, Taylor, you mentioned Dragos earlier. If you look at their um, they're right up on the, the activity group they call Xenotime, which is behind the Aramco breach. They assess Xenotime to be basically the most dangerous activity group that there is right now, and at least from a critical infrastructure point of view. So anything that is, uh, any insights that are developed about these groups that are targeting critical infrastructure obviously is valuable. And there has to be a lot of that insight in order to get to where DOJ got to with this. So there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. I agree. It's not likely that we're going to see their day in court, but uh, a lot of the supporting work to get to where we are probably has some real beneficial effects for owners and operators of critical infrastructure and other folks on the good side of, of the fence here. So, so yeah, I'll go with, with around four. And by the way, as a, just a shout out to a, another cybersecurity podcast, uh, Darknet Diaries for folks who aren't familiar, they have an awesome episode on the, uh, the, the Trisis, the Aramco breach, very much worth uh, listening to. Ooh, yeah. Great call out. Such a great podcast. Alrighty. Um, okay, let's we're running, we're having a long, a deep episode today. So we're gonna shift gears really fast here into our game Two Truths and a Lie. Thank you both you, Taylor and Tim, for your thoughtful insights today. And now let's play a fun game to camp off the episode. So this game is not dissimilar from the traditional game of Two Truths and a Lie, but rather than sharing about ourselves, we're going to divulge three titles of byline articles, two of which are true and one of which is a lie. Um, and every week we shift which host is trying to deceive the other two. And of course, there's a point system. So Tim Helming is actually our um, deceiver of the day. So he'll be sharing three article titles with Taylor and myself, and we'll see if we can suss out the lie. All right. And, you know, I'm just going to tell you, I don't generally go with the actual headlines that were written by the authors of these articles because they're they're just not fun enough most of the time. So anyhow, I'm going to read three article titles. I made up all of the article titles, but 
only two of the underlying articles are actually real. How's that? So mm. uh, article number one, Sophos has a new any any rule in its firewalls and elite hacksaws are thrilled. Article number two, Chinese group Calypso APT confuses everyone by targeting Russian and Ukrainian organizations. Article number three, RTFM people, Vidar malware hides in the last place anyone ever looks, the help documentation. (laughs) These are good, Tim. This is tough. What was the first one again? First one is Sophos has a new any any rule in its firewalls and elite hacksaws are thrilled. <laughs> hmm. I'm going to say the third one is a lie. I'm going to go out on a limb. That's my best guess. It's a 50-50 for me between the, the second and the third, but I'm going to guess the third. I'll go with the first one. Well, folks... The second one was actually the lie. No. Calypso APT, I have no idea what they're up to. (laughs) Tim, you know what that means. Giving them an idea, Tim. Way to go. You've usurped me. You just beat me at the game. No. Rut row. Rut row. The earth is tilting on its axis. (laughs) Now I'm even further behind in third place. Blue shell. Taylor, you're just too. Taylor, active. I was in that spot for so long, man. I, 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 I feel it. <laughs> it's a long year. Look, there's uh, maybe this summertime I can sneak in there and get some get some W's. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, yeah, Tim, you're you're sitting pretty there at the top of the pedestal that is the Breaking Badness Two Truths and a Lie game. Um, but I want to thank you both for your time. Thank you, listeners. I know this was a an extra long episode. Hopefully, you got plenty of value out of it. So much has been happening this past week. And of course, we'll be back next week for the 117th episode of Breaking Badness. And I'm sure I'm sure nothing new will happen between now and then. So we'll have to be creative about what we find to talk about. <laughs> right. We'll just have to talk about old news. Yeah. Toodaloo, everyone. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. Click.